Thanks, Aaron. Man, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Last week, I uh, showed off my vocal skills, so this week I thought I'd show off my artistic skills to you guys. Um, If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. That's uh, New Testament. I'm excited, by the way. I'm so excited. I can't really stand it. Thanks, Charlie. You guys did a great job leading us to the throne, the throne of God. That's awesome. While you guys are turning to the book of Acts, it's in your New Testament. That is right after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We're going to be in the book of Acts today. First eight verses is what we're going to read. Awesome. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much uh, for our time already this morning where we've been able to lift our voices up together to sing praises about who you are and what you've done and to lift your son Jesus up. And Father, that's what we want to do every single week, week in and week out, God. We want to just proclaim your name. We want to make much about you because it's not about us. It's not about what we've done, but it's all about what you have done through Jesus on our behalf. So, Father, I pray now as we open your word and as we look at uh, the book of Acts and as we study uh, what our purpose is and what we want to be about, God, that your spirit would just uh, fill this place. God, that you would just convict us that we would see your son Jesus for who he is and what he's done, and that we would see ourselves for who we are, and that we would see our need for him. Father, that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we kicked off a series last week entitled Reboot, and if you haven't seen the poster board as you walk in through the front door there, uh, that's the, the image, Reboot, Rediscovering Our Purpose. And in this series, we're asking the question, how do we look at our role in God's great story of redemption as a church and individually, uh, how do we look at, look at our, our purpose? We're asking what's our purpose as a church and individually. We're looking at how, recalibrating how we look at church. And that's what this series, Reboot, is all about. Now, we've all experienced times when our computer is frozen up or crashed or just seems to, to be sluggish, you know, that circle that keeps spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. Uh, and we've all had to, to do what? We've all had to shut it down and reboot, reboot. And that's the only option, reboot. Now, the good news for us is that God has given us this great reference book called the Bible that we can go to and find our purpose. We don't have to guess what it is. We don't have to wonder what it is. We don't have to play any games. We can just look at the Bible. During this series, we will be talking about what we as leaders of the church believe our purpose is, what what God is calling us to be about at Chester Christian Church, and, and, and most importantly, how you can be a part of helping us fulfill that purpose. So we already let the cat out of the bag. We didn't keep you in suspense. We didn't uh, uh, keep it a secret. We didn't keep it on the down low, right? We let the cat out of the bag. We told you what our purpose is. It's on the front of your program. If you have your program, you can look at it right there, right? And uh, this is what it is. It's to make much of Jesus 
by reaching people with the gospel, discipling people in the gospel, and equipping people to share the gospel. Now, you may be asking yourself, why are we saying gospel after each one of those things? Because I'm going to tell you something. The gospel is the message. The gospel is the message. If you're not rooted in the gospel, then you don't have a foundation. All right? So the gospel is the message. So we want to reach people for the gospel, disciple them in the gospel, and equip people to share the gospel. That's it. That's our purpose. So during this series, my hope and prayer is that we would simply just be able to, to dream together, to think of the possibilities of what God can do through our church here at Chester and through each of you individually. Man, just imagine what God can do to impact this community for Jesus. So last week we began uh, talking about making much of Jesus and what that means and what that looks like for each of us in our lives. Making, making much of Jesus is the foundation. Like, it's, it's Jesus. It starts with Jesus. It's the, it's the motivation. It's the inspiration. It's what will drive the rest of what we talk about this month. Because if Jesus is not at the center of all that we do, then we can easily get off track, and we can become about this, or we can come about that. But it's got to be Jesus. Jesus is at the simple. Jesus is at the center. I, I shared this simple equation last week with you guys. It was Jesus plus nothing equals everything meaning that Jesus is everything. It's not Jesus plus religion. It's not Jesus plus moralism. It's not Jesus plus you try harder, but it's simply Jesus plus nothing. Because if it's Jesus plus religion, then that says I obey and therefore I'm accepted. If I do this or if I do that, then God will love me. If I do this or if I do that, then I'll be accepted by God. And what that does is it creates two things. It'll create pride in you because you feel like that you're knocking it out of the park and that God loves you because you're doing that, which you're really not, all right? Or it's going to create despair and hopelessness because you feel the weight of trying to keep all of the commands of God and you can't possibly do it. And so you throw up your hands and you're like, I can't do it. But the gospel says, I am accepted, I am loved by God. I had, a, had a, uh, one of my favorite authors, he's passed away his name was Brennan Manning, and I always loved what he said. Brennan Manning said this. He said, uh, he says that God loves you the way you are, not as you should be, because you'll never be as good as you should be. I love that. I love that. And so the gospel says, I am accepted. I am loved by God. And therefore, out of that love, out of that grace, out of that mercy that God shows me, I obey. And so that creates two things. That creates humility, because you realize that there's nothing that you can do but it's all God, it's all what God has done through Jesus Christ, and it creates confidence, not in you, but in Jesus and what he's done on your behalf. So you see, when you, when you realize, when you come to Jesus empty-handed, when you come to Jesus with nothing, and yet he gives you everything, that is when the grace of God is lavished upon you, and that changes everything. When we begin to make much of Jesus and put him at the center, it changes everything. And so today what we want to do is we want to focus on reaching people with the gospel. Reaching people with the gospel. What does that look like for us? What does that look like for us as a church and individually? You see, from the very beginning, the church has been relentlessly taking the good news, the gospel from person to person, from city to city, from country to country. And our desire and our prayer at this church, at Chester Christian, that we would be as passionate and as aggressive about sharing the good news. 
Nothing is more prominent in Acts than the spread of the gospel. Acts reveals the passionate pursuit of people, beginning with his followers in Jerusalem, expanding to Samaria, then to the rest of the world. It might be helpful to think of Acts as the link between the Gospels. I put this diagram up here for you to to kind of get a visual in your head. And so I want you to think of it as the Gospels tell the story of Jesus, the good news, that Jesus came, that he died, and that he resurrected. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that points to Acts. And then you have the rest of the Bible, the letters, as we call them, or the epistles, uh, over here on the right side. That's the rest of the New Testament. And so it's helpful to think of Acts as kind of the link between them because all these letters over here that you see are written to churches that started in the book of Acts as a result of what Jesus did in the Gospels. Does that make sense? Does that help you kind of formulate in your mind what Acts is about and how it links those together? All right? So Acts tells us how the followers of Jesus formed the church. Acts shows us what the church uh, should look like and how it should function properly. Now, unfortunately, the church doesn't always function properly. You see, every church in the world is either focused on who they are trying to reach, those who don't know Jesus, or they are trying to keep them happy. And in the book of Acts, we see that when the church is working right, they're focused on who they're trying to reach. Because, listen to me, when you reach people the right way, you don't have to worry about trying to keep them happy. And what I mean by by that is this. Their relationship with Jesus keeps them happy. See, if, if we reach people with the gospel and they're rooted in the gospel and the gospel is the foundation, then we don't have to worry about keeping them happy because they understand that it's not about them. They don't understand that church is not to cater to them. They understand that it's not about them, but they understand that it's about Jesus and about making much of him and about reaching people for the gospel. And that's what we want to be about. So what do we want to be about? That's why we want to be about making much of Jesus. That's our growth plan here at Chester Christian Church. So in the book of Acts, you will see that the Holy Spirit plays a prominent role. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is mentioned over 50 times in 28 chapters of the book of Acts. Acts is written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And Luke is the only non-Jewish person who wrote a book in the Bible. Luke is a medical doctor, and he is a historian because he writes in Luke and Acts, he says, I took, t- took careful attention. I took notes, and I wrote these things down. I studied them. He's a historian. And he's also one of the missionary partners of the Apostle Paul throughout the book of Acts. You'll notice that whenever he's writing, he says, we went on this trip. We did this. He's referring to himself being there with Paul on these trips. And so what I want us to do is begin in our text, Acts chapter 1, and I want to start out with the first few verses there. So if you have your Bibles, you guys ready to go? All right, man. You guys excited? All right. Was that diagram helpful for you guys? All right, good. Because my wife made it, and she knocked it out of the park, didn't she? She spent a lot of time on it. I felt sorry for her. I was like, baby, I just want a simple diagram. She goes all out, though, man. She's good. She's good. All right. So go ahead and go back to our, our original slide there, Eva. Reboot there. All right. So, starting in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, this is what it says. In the first book, that's Luke's gospel, 
old Theophilus. Now Luke is writing to this guy named Theophilus. He's trying to, trying to make a case for, for Theophilus about Jesus. And this is what he says. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering, after his death, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now I want to stop there for a second. I want to chat with you. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, there are a lot of people out there who are skeptics and cynics about Jesus, about what we believe in the resurrected Jesus. They, they, they look at us and they think, man, to believe in the resurrected Jesus is absolutely insane and absurd. That, that's why the Apostle Paul writes in Corinthians that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are dying, to those who are perishing. And in other words, the skeptics and the cynics and the intellectual snobs of the world will never come to terms with a dying Messiah. They, they look at us and they think, man, you guys use that as a crutch, you use that just as a whatever, and, and they'll never come to terms with the fact that, that the Messiah died for our sins. They, they think that that is weak, and they think that it is absurd, and they'll never be able to, to come to terms with that. But if you think about it, right, think about it, it does sound a little absurd, doesn't it? It does sound a little crazy if you think about it. That, that we as Christians trust in a God that we've never seen and that we believe in the death of a son 2,000 years ago who claims to have come back to life. And if you think about that, it does seem a little crazy, right? I mean, it does, sound a, it does sound a little absurd. But skeptics and cynics, they believe that our faith is a blind faith. You've heard that term before, blind faith. But what I want to tell you this morning is it's not a blind faith. And that's exactly what Luke is trying to paint this picture for us in these first few verses. He says, Jesus presented himself alive to them, to his disciples, and many others after his suffering, after his death by many convincing proofs. In other words, after Jesus hung on a cross, after he died, after he was buried in the tomb, Jesus presented himself to his followers. Now that sounds crazy. But, but Luke, now understand, Luke was an educated man. He was a medical doctor. And so he knows what dead people look like. Right? He knows that when they're dead, they're dead. Right? No, no, no question about it. They don't turn up several days afterwards, uh, after the funeral, and hold conversations with people and share meals with people. But Luke says that Jesus did just that. All the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, make it clear that this was no momentary hallucination by the early followers of Jesus. It wasn't like they had this hallucination and they saw Jesus for just a period of time. And, oh, yeah. No, it was, it was a long period. Jesus had meals with them. He shared time with them. It was a period of many weeks, and therefore they saw Jesus many times. He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. But I'm going to tell you something. The most convincing proof, the most convincing proof that that. that, that that Jesus' resurrection changed those early followers' lives was how it changed a group of cowardly, whimpering men who just days before the death, uh, before the resurrection, had scampered off, had ran and fled for their lives. 
and to a group of men who were willing to die and did die for their faith in the resurrected Jesus. I love what one writer writes. He says that I believe witnesses who get their throats cut. And that sounds crazy, but I mean, that's exactly what the disciples did. I mean, they, this was no hallucination. I mean, you don't just go out and risk your life and die and spread the gospel because you think you saw a hallucination. You just don't do that. The resurrected Jesus changed their lives. It was the fact that they had seen Jesus alive from the dead that changed them. Now listen, you can go to the tomb of any, any religious leader, man. Just name any religious leader you want to. Muhammad. You can go to Buddha. You can go to Joseph Smith. You can go to their tomb and you can look in their tomb and you will see their skeletons. You will see them laying there. But if you go to the tomb of Jesus and you look inside, guess what? It's going to be empty. Jesus is not there. And the disciples' belief in the resurrected Jesus changed everything. It transformed them. And I'm telling you, it will do the same for us. It will do the same for you. Believing in Jesus changes everything. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that your behavior is a direct result of your beliefs. Now, the, the, longer, you follow, the longer you are a follower of Jesus, the more you realize that your behavior is a dire direct result of what you believe. Your attitude and your actions always shape what you believe. For instance, if you believe that being on time is unimportant, then guess what? You're probably not going to keep a job for very long, are you? Right? If you believe that, that uh, drinking coffee and putting on makeup and uh, texting at the same time is just multitasking while driving, then I, I, I don't want to be in a car with you, all right, while you're driving. I just don't want to do that. But Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with diligence, for from it flows the spring of life. Listen, if there are things in your life that you want to change, you don't change them from the outside in. If you want to change behavior, you don't start with the behavior. You don't change from the outside in. You change them from the inside out. And the only way that you can effectively change behavior is not by trying harder, but by, but by allowing Jesus to change you from the inside out. And the early followers of Jesus were changed by Jesus. They believed Jesus suffered for a divine purpose, and they were willing to risk it all to share that purpose. I want you to look at the connection here uh, between Luke's gospel and, and, and the Acts. Uh, I'm going to read for you Luke 24, 46. If you want to jot that down, you can look at that later. But actually, I would encourage you later on to go back and just read the last half of, of Luke's gospel, the last chapter there, and just see the connection between Luke's gospel and the book of Acts and how he ties it together. But this is what he says in Luke 24, 46. He says, And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then he says, you are witnesses of these things. See, that's the message. That's, that's the good news that the early followers proclaimed throughout the book of Acts, that Jesus has come to forgive us of our sins and to give us life. You see, what I want you to understand is that sin is a universal problem. Sin is a universal problem, and sin, 
I do this with the kids a lot, by the way. So I've had a lot of practice with this. Lynette, you, you guys have seen this before, right? So sin is our universal problem. Over here you've got God. And over here you've got us. And I always draw a frowny face. All right, because sin has separated us from God. It has created this chasm between us and God that we cannot get to. And I don't think we understand just how serious sin is. Like, God is holy, and He is righteous, and He is perfect, and He is without sin. And so whenever we sinned, it separated us from God, it separated our relationship with God, and we cannot have fellowship with Him. And so what a lot of people think, man, a lot of people think, well, if I just... If I just tighten up and I, I do well and I try to try harder, you know, and if I do, then I can get to God, but all that does is leads to death. And, and maybe, maybe some people are like my dad. My dad always uh, grew up, and he would always tell me, I, w- I would share with him about Jesus and church, and he'd say, man, he said, if I, just, if I just do good, if I just listen, or not listen, if I just do good, if I just, uh, you know, don't, don't drink too much, don't cuss too much, don't watch too many rated R movies, you know, then I'll be good. But all that does is leads to death, okay? And what people need to understand is, is that Jesus saw us in this hopelessness state. That Jesus saw us in this state where we were separated from God, and Jesus came, and he died on the cross, and he built a bridge for us. Jesus took our sin on the cross, so that when we ask for forgiveness, when we repent of our sin, then we have built, then he has built a bridge for us to go to God. God, Jesus, is our righteousness. He lived a sinless, perfect life, so that when we believe in him and accept what he did for us on the cross, it rescues us from our sin, and we are in relationship with God again. You guys see that? You guys see that? Erica, you've seen this before, right? I do this all the time with you guys. Yeah, just say yeah. She sleeps a lot of times during youth groups, so I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She does. All right. Um, all right, so, so that's what the Bible says, man. The Bible says that all have sinned, that that's the moral failure that alienates us from God, that falls short of the glory of God. And so the compassionate, compassion of Jesus... The sinlessness of Jesus saw us in this horrible situation. He built a bridge for us. We have been rescued. That's why Isaiah the prophet talks about 800 years before Jesus came. And he says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took all of our sin. All of our sin. He took the penalty on himself. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That if we confess Jesus as Lord, if we repent of our sins and believe in him, he will forgive us of our sins. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you believe these things, it changes everything. It changes everything. See, the difference between religion and relationship with Jesus is that when you have religion, your faith is tamed. When you have religion, you can kind of compartmentalize everything to an hour or two on Sunday morning. It doesn't affect the way that you work. It doesn't affect the way that you do business. It doesn't affect family life. It doesn't affect anything. Religion is just tame. It it doesn't affect anything. But a relationship with Jesus will affect everything that you do. 
It will affect everything. And when it does, it compels us. It compels us to share the good news. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that Christ's love compels us. See, that's, that's why the gospel is such good news, because it says, I am accepted, and therefore I obey. Christ's love compels me. His love compels me to obey because of what he has done for me, because of the grace and mercy he has lavished upon me. It compels me. Jesus changes everything. Now, when God calls us to do something, like sharing the good news, he always gives us the resources to do it. You, you guys uh, agree with that? You guys believe that? Are you guys awake? All right. You guys can talk back. It's all right, man. It's church. It's fine. All right. So, let's go back to, to, to our text here, Luke, uh, Luke, Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 4. And uh, this, is, this, is how he, this is the resources he gives us right here. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered, this is Jesus talking, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, hear me on this, all right? because for some reason... The Holy Spirit oftentimes gets a bad rap, right? And depending on your church background, if you have a church background, if you grew up in church, depending on your background, you either love you some Holy Spirit, right? Like you walk around all the time with anointing oil in your pocket and you're ready just to whip that mess out and be like, hey, I'm ready. Yeah, you love you some Holy Spirit, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But, or you tend to shy away from the Holy Spirit. Like, like, for those of us that grew up in the Christian church, and I grew up in this church, man, where we just tend to get wigged out by the Holy Spirit, okay? I'm just being honest with you. But it was because of, of really, to be honest with you, it was because of, of a poor theology about the Holy Spirit. And we could spend several weeks just on the Holy Spirit and what he does in the life of a follower of Jesus, and we will in the future. I mean, the Holy Spirit is described as a comforter in John 14, 16. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us as we read through Scripture. The Holy Spirit plays a massive part, and I'm going to use a big churchy word here for you, okay, in our sanctification process. You guys know what sanctification is? I hate using those churchy words, but I'm going to this morning. All right, sanctification is the process of making us more like Jesus. All right? The Holy Spirit sanctifies us, makes us more like Jesus as we read through Scripture. He convicts us of our sin and our need for Jesus. But for our purposes this morning, I want to focus on what Luke says. Because Luke says, you will receive power. You will receive power. He didn't say that you're going to receive a warm, fuzzy feeling, but you will receive power. And then he says, you will be my witness. He didn't say you might be my witness, you could be my witness, but he says you will be my witness. Now, a witness is someone who testifies because they hold important information in a, in a case. Now, now what's interesting with, with Luke is that he's the only gospel writer to note that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And he continues that theme throughout the book of Acts. The theme for the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is about power. 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 The Holy Spirit empowers the believers. But what does he empower us to do? Well, what's the very first part of our mission, our purpose? Somebody tell me. That's what he empowers us to do. To make much of Jesus. To promote Jesus. To lift Jesus up. To be a witness for Jesus. So as a church, we have a responsibility to be a witness. To make much of Jesus. We are empowered by the same Holy Spirit as those early followers to share the good news of the gospel to our community and to those around us. Do you realize that in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus told his disciples that you will do greater things than what I have done? Like, do you know what Jesus did? And yet he tells his disciples that you will do greater works. And what Jesus is saying is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would continue the work of Jesus multiplying believers and expanding his church. But we would proclaim the gospel to a lost world that it cannot be just another activity on the church's calendar. Like, it it can't be. It's got to be central to who we are. It's got to be what we're about. I heard some people say, uh, growing up, I've heard this uh, really all my life, says that we can't be a hotel for saints. We've got to be a hospital for sinners. We've got to be a place where people come in and they feel like that they can be loved no matter what. That no matter what their past, no matter what they've done, that we will love on them and that we will share the gospel with them because the gospel is for them. I'm going to tell you guys something, man. I, I just, I want to dream for a second here, okay? I would love for us to just think, think about just in the future, man, I would love for us to see people just coming through those doors that are struggling with addictions, that are struggling with identity, that are struggling with all kinds of issues, and they are able to come into this church, and they're able to find rescue through Jesus Christ. I would love for us to be able to fill this place up with people in our community that are lost, who need to hear about Jesus and what he's done for them. I would love for us to just absolutely be able to wear that baptistry out. I would love for that. I would love for us to just be able to multiply. Listen, man, I would love for us, and this is a God-sized dream. Are you ready for this? I would love for us. I believe that God is, is desiring, and this is what every church should be about. Every church should be about. Can you imagine the day that when we are filling this place up with people, and then we go out and we plant another church in our community? Can you imagine that? The day that, I mean, who knows, there may be people in this room right now that God is raising up to be able to go plant another campus, another church, Chester Christian Church, somewhere in Chesterfield County. Like, I know, man, listen, I know we've planted churches across the world. I know that, and that's awesome, that's great. But how awesome would it be, man, for us to plant another church, Chester Christian Church, somewhere in Chesterfield County? where we can reach more people for the gospel. How awesome would that be? Do you guys see that? That's awesome. Like, that's a God-sized vision. That's a God-sized plan. And that's what God is calling us to do. 
He empowers us by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, we're doing some great things as a church in our community. I mean, I'm telling you, we're going into to, to regularly, we're going into local prisons. We got people here that go in there and they share the gospel with teenagers who have no hope, who struggle with addictions, who struggle with identity, and they're going in there and they're sharing hope with them. We have folks that go into local detention centers here in Chesterfield County and share God's love with teenagers. And Richard, I know you've told me before, man, that, that, that years after the fact that, that, that people have come up to you, right, and said, aren't you, uh, I don't know if they call you by name, they say, aren't you the guy who comes in the, he came into the detention center and, and, and loves on us? I mean, that's, that's years down the road, man. See the impact that, that we're having in our community? We have folks that, that uh, we have small groups that go into nursing homes and love on, on those who are lonely. And they, and they give them company. We have folks that are mentoring at local elementary schools with at-risk students. And I'm going to tell you something, that's an awesome thing because what that does is that gives, gives them an opportunity then to not only love on the kid, but build a relationship with the family outside of school. And the, and the possibilities are endless, man, to be able to share the gospel. Listen, I, I have been able to go to my, my kid that I mentor. I've been able to go to his house. I think I've shared this with you guys before. And I have stood in her living room, man. I'm telling you, she knows I'm a preacher. She knows I'm a pastor. But she has no filter whatsoever. I mean, she, I've been in her living room before, man. She's dropped F-bombs, all kinds of things, right? And I have been able to sit in her living room while she's dropping F-bombs. Uh, not at me. But, 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 yeah, yeah, not at me. But I've been able to share the gospel with her, man. I've, I've been trying to get them to come to church. I've gone to their house on Sunday morning, man, and knocked on the door. Only for them not to come because they're still sleeping. You know what I'm saying? But I, it gives us the opportunity to do that. Build relationships. And as a church, man, we just want to continue to be aggressive in reaching our community for the gospel. And that's why, man, we want to give you guys the opportunity to do that. On January 25th, right after our business meeting, we are going to be asking you guys, we're going to put together a little bag like this, okay? And it's going to have uh, an invitation uh, to our family movie night. Now, Donnie has surely been doing movie night... uh, before I ever came here, how long have you guys been doing it? Since you've been in the building. Since 06, all right? And, and that's a great, great outreach, man. They're doing a great, great job, and it's a fun time to be here. And what we want to do is going to have an invitation to movie night. It's going to have a, a church pen. It's going to have some candy. Um, I can't believe I haven't eaten this candy in this bag yet. It's been in here for a week, all right? So, but what we're going to do is we're going to take these bags. I've already gotten permission, and we're just simply going to go over to Hyde Park and we're just going to hang them on the doorknobs. You don't have to knock on the door. You don't have to, you know, just solicit anybody. You're just hanging them on the door. And they're going to get this invitation. But then we're going to give you a few extra to take home. And, 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 and you, don't have to, you don't have to hang them on the door. But if you know your neighbor, man, go over there and just give them an invitation to come to movie night. If they got kids. And then we want to invite you guys back here to movie night January 30th, that Friday night. Let's fill this place up, man. Let's love on people. Let's show them Jesus. All right, so you guys get that? You guys straight? All right. You guys awake? All right, all right, all right. Now, but not only do we have a responsibility as a church, but we have a responsibility as individuals to be a witness for Jesus also. I mean, we're called to be a witness for Jesus because we know that knowing Jesus changes everything. We know something about Jesus that the world needs to know even if they don't know it. 
Like we know that sin separates us from God. They don't know that. And they need to know that. Uh, Dr. Paul Tillich, he was a German philosopher and theologian, and he died in 1965. But he said that there are three anxieties, three anxieties that every person on this planet faces. And he says there's no amount of wealth, pleasure, or psychology that can resolve it. He said there's an anxiety in all of us about death. I would have to agree with him on that. That there's an anxiety in all of us about guilt and shame. Right? I mean, isn't that true? Don't we have anxiety about guilt and shame? And there's an anxiety about the purpose of life. How many people do we know this struggle with the purpose of life? What is my purpose here in life? What am I supposed to do? What am I... Like, they struggle with these things. And there have been industries in our culture that exist to try to mask these anxieties, try to cover them up, and they have failed miserably. They give people a false hope. And we are witnesses because we have information that will cure these anxieties. Think about it. We have the good news to share with people who are anxious about death because Jesus conquered death, and death is swallowed up in victory through eternal life. Right? We're going to live eternally with Jesus. People who suffer from guilt and shame, whether it was guilt from something they did a year ago or something they did last night, the blood of Jesus wipes away our guilt. Jesus took our guilt and shame on the cross. Wipes it clean. Like, that's good news. That's good news. And then, and then people can have peace over their past and their future. People who struggle with purpose in their life, man, Jesus gives us a sense of mission every single day that we wake up. He gives us a purpose every single day. It's to make much of Jesus in our workplace, in our home, in our gyms, in our schools. Jesus gives us purpose and mission. See, Jesus had a vision that everyone would hear the gospel message because the gospel is for everyone. And once we've accepted the good news, we receive the Spirit, and He empowers us and commissions us to reach others with this great story. Now, if that makes you nervous, if that makes you tense up, if that makes you scared, that's okay. It's okay because God is with you. You may be thinking to yourself, man, but I don't know enough Bible. I don't have my life together yet. And you never will, by the way. <laughs> what, what if I say something stupid? Listen, I'm going to tell you something, man. I, I always try to block this out of my mind. I try to forget about it, but I, it just, it's always there. A couple years ago, man, I was in my, in my yard working, and my neighbor came over, and we were talking. And, um, and, and I've been sharing with him about coming to church and talking about Jesus. And he comes over, man, and they've been to church here a couple times. And he just dropped a bombshell in my lap. Like, I'm sitting there, we're totally caught off guard. And he says, yeah, he says, me and my wife are getting a divorce. And it just broke my heart. And I remember, all, all I remember the conversation is, I, I did say something about Jesus, okay? But it was one of those conversations where I, my brain was telling my mouth to shut up, but my mouth just kept spewing out stuff, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I saying? Because it was, it was, it, I was like, this poor soul, man, he's going to be more lost than what he was before, and I, I can't remember anything I said. I can't remember anything that I said to this dude, except that I know I told him about Jesus. But what I'm trying to skid at is it doesn't matter. None of that makes any difference. Because God can use it. 
God can use. And it doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter if you're going to say something stupid. Because you've got a story to tell. I mean, you've got a story to tell. There's all kinds of stories. I'm going to tell you something, man. Barry Miller, who's sitting right back here in the back, has an unbelievable testimony. And, and I've already talked to him about sharing that testimony. We're going to get it on video, man. We're going to share it. I want you guys to hear it because it's unbelievable about how God has rescued him from drugs and suicide and just a life of just craziness. But listen, that, that may not be your story. Your story may be, man, I grew up in the church and I've been faithful to Jesus my, you know, my whole life. And, and that's an awesome story. Like, I want that story for my kids. You know what I mean? I want my kids to be able to grow up and say, man, I've, I've been in church all my life. I love Jesus all my life. So your story may not be, man, God rescued me from the pits of hell. But, but, but we all have a story. Maybe your story is, man, when I was young, my, my father died. And God was a father to the fatherless. I know for me, man, I grew up in a single-parent home. My mom uh, would struggle to raise me and my brother. And I can just look back and see how God was faithful, how he took care of us. Like that, That's a story. I, I, can, I can tell people, man, I can look back on my life. I can look back on just a, a month ago, a year ago, and tell people, man, listen, I was so self-centered, still am. But God is working on me, and I can tell you how far I've come and what God has done in my life and what Jesus has done to change me from the inside out. See, we all have a story to tell. It's telling people that you've been rescued by a loving God who pursued you and is also pursuing them. And listen, it's not about how they respond to you. They may, they may laugh at you, they may ridicule you, they may whatever, make fun of you, whatever. But if they make fun of you, that's okay because your identity is in Christ. And you don't care what other people think. It's about telling your story. And God, it's up to God to draw people to himself. You can give people an invitation to come to church. So I'm asking you this morning, man, will you accept the challenge? Help us make much of Jesus and reach people with the gospel. Man, if you you need to accept Jesus this morning, if you need to accept what he did for you on the cross this morning, if you need to repent of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, I would love to chat with you after the service. I would love to be able to do that talk about more how, how you can do that. But I also just want to encourage you guys to, to be praying about how God can use you to reach those around you. Man, as you are walking through your neighborhood, man, pray for your neighbors by name. Pray for your co-workers by name. Pray for them regularly. Ask that God would draw them to, to himself and ask that he would give you the opportunity to share the gospel with them. You guys good? All right, well, let's pray because it is 10 o'clock. All right. God, we thank you so much uh, for your grace and mercy. We thank you for Jesus and this message that we have. God, we, just, we pray that you would just help us to, to be bold, to be aggressive. God, as we desire to share this message with other people. Father, I... Uh, I pray this morning that if there are people here that, that need to repent, uh, ask for forgiveness, God, that you would just stir in their hearts. Father, my prayer is that we would all just take seriously this call that you have given us 
and understanding we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with those around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.